You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Well, good morning, Liberty Family Church, and good morning if you're joining us online. Uh, don't know me, my name's Peter Rogers, and I'm part of the eldership team here at Liberty. And it's a pleasure for me to encourage you from the word of God this morning for those of faith. And for those who are seeking faith, I want to challenge you this morning from the word of God um, to see if faith in Jesus Christ is something for you. So we're one week out from Easter and our thoughts are are turning to events of 2,000 years ago, to Jerusalem and to Jesus. And next weekend our focus is, is going to be all around the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But to put those events in perspective, we need to backtrack a little and first ask ourselves this question, just who was and who is this man, Jesus? And why has Jesus had such a a lasting impact on the world for over 2,000 years and why have there been millions upon millions of followers and believers who've put their faith in Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years. So let's um, address that this morning. Well, history tells us that Jesus was born around about 4 BC in Bethlehem, in a a small village in Israel, just 9 k's south of Jerusalem. It's a a time when Israel and the Jewish people were under uh, Roman occupation and a brutal empire. And for hundreds of years, the prophets of Israel had foretold of a coming saviour, a future king who would save Israel and and bring them an everlasting kingdom of justice and peace. And in the context of the Roman Empire and the day, that was exactly what Israel needed and what they were looking for, this saviour king, the long-awaited Messiah. The public life and ministry of Jesus began around 29 AD um, with his baptism in the Jordan River. And his public ministry ended about three and a half years later in spring in Jerusalem, around 33 AD. And over those three years, Jesus taught many things about God and performed many miracles and hopes and expectations amongst the the Jewish people, the nation of Israel grew. Could this be the one? Is this the man? Is this the Messiah we've been waiting for? And it was a question and a debate that came to a, a heated climax in and around Jerusalem just a few months before the season that we now call Easter. And this was the prelude to Easter. And this is where I want to pick up the Jesus story this morning, to put ourselves in the position of the eyewitnesses of of that day, and in particular, to put ourselves in the position of an eyewitness, one of Jesus' disciples, the Apostle John, and to ask ourselves the same questions that the Jews were asking at that time. Who is this man called Jesus? And is Jesus the Messiah? and the king of the Jews, the saviour king of the Jews. 
But it's a question that goes even further than that, and I want to ask each one of us personally today, is Jesus the Saviour, King and Messiah that I need and that the world needs even today? So let's take up the story in the Gospel of John in chapter 10, reading from verse 22. And try and imagine yourself and picture yourself in the scene as we go along. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And just going forward to save time, we'll go on to verse 40. And the, the Jews had tried to arrest Jesus and, uh, to stone him. And from verse 40, Jesus escaped from their clutches, from their grasp, and Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptising in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true, and in that place many believed in Jesus. And then on to chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was sick, was the same one who poured, who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. 
Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he had been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. But, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. What an amazing story. But you know, it's not just a story, and, and more importantly, it's not fiction. This is an historical account written by an eyewitness, one of Jesus' disciples, the Apostle John. At the end of that passage, we read, from that day on, the Sanhedrin plotted to take Jesus' life. And we know that this plot to take Jesus' life culminated in the arrest, the mock trial and the crucifixion of Jesus in Jerusalem not long after. And we'll remember those events in the coming week and over the Easter weekend. But our focus this morning is on these events recorded in John's Gospel in the preceding weeks, in the prelude to Easter. And our question is this, is Jesus the Messiah and Saviour King of the Jews for the world and for me? So let's take a closer look at this passage together. And I want to highlight three things this morning to focus on. And the first thing I want to focus on this morning is the question, are you the Messiah? This was the question that the Jews asked Jesus in the temple courts. Today's passage begins in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 22. And it was winter in Jerusalem, which meant it was around about 14 degrees Celsius, a bit like a, a winter's day in Melbourne. And it's the Feast of Dedication, which also goes under the name of Hanukkah. You might have heard that name. Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication, is a seven-day Jewish feast that celebrates the rededication of the Jewish people in Jerusalem after the Maccabean Revolt. This was a revolt led by Judas Maccabeus around about 160 BC when they reclaimed the Jerusalem temple from the Greek pagans. The prophet Daniel had prophesied 
of this over 400 years previously. In chapter 8, verses 9 to 14, you can look that up in your own time. The prophet Daniel had foretold of this pagan desecration of the Jewish temple, which was fulfilled about 400 years later when one of the Greek Seleucid kings uh, desecrated the Jewish temple by sacrificing a pig to the Greek god Zeus in the temple. So it's during this feast of dedication, this seven-day feast, that Jesus is in the Jerusalem temple and he's walking in Solomon's colonnade, which is also called Solomon's porch. And this was a porch of columns covered by a roof on the east side of the temple courts and it gave shelter from the weather, so it was a popular meeting place. And this was where the early church believers met in Acts chapter 5. And it's where Peter and John healed the lame man in Acts chapter 3. And so as Jesus was walking through Solomon's colonnade, the, the Jews who were there gathered around him and they asked him this question from verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. The word Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed one. And the Greek equivalent word is Christ. And when translated into English, sorry, the Greek equivalent word is Christos. And when translated into English gives us the word Christ. And in the Old Testament, God ordained that people who were commissioned to office were anointed with oil. Prophets, priests and kings were all anointed with oil as they were consecrated to their position and their role. Elijah anointed Elisha with oil as Elisha succeeded him as a prophet. Aaron was anointed with oil as the first priest of Israel. And the prophet Samuel anointed both Saul and David with oil as, as kings of Israel. But the Old Testament also foretold of a prophet, sorry, also foretold a prophecy of a coming one, a coming future king who would be anointed by God himself to save and redeem Israel. And there's over 350 messianic prophecies in, in the Old Testament contained in 26 of the 29 books of the Old Testament. But I want to highlight just a, a couple of them this morning to give you an idea of what the Jewish nation, what Israel was expecting and hoping for in the midst of this brutal Roman Empire. The prophet Jeremiah wrote around about 600 years before Christ words from God inspired by the Holy Spirit in chapter 23, verse 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which we will, he will be called, Lord, our righteous saviour. So the, the Jews and the nation of Israel were certainly hoping and longing for this Messiah to come to save them from Roman occupation. And there's some other messianic passages um, 
which I'd highlight this morning, but I won't read for the, for the sake of time. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 talks about the birth of a child. And we read this one at Christmas time to celebrate the birth of Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the prophet Micah foretold where this Messiah would come from, where he would born, from the, would be born in the town of Bethlehem. And these are just a few of the hundreds of messianic prophecies contained in the Old Testament of the Bible. And other incredible prophecies that you might like to look up in particular, Daniel chapter 9, verses 23 to 27, and Isaiah chapter 53. So the Jews in Solomon's colonnade come to Jesus and they ask him plainly if he was this Messiah. And Jesus' answer was that he'd already told them that he was. He'd already told them so, that he was the Messiah. They had not believed him. Jesus had already affirmed it to the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4.26 to the man born blind in John 9.37. He'd, accept he'd accepted the confession of his disciple, Peter, who said that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus had implied it also in discussions that he'd had with the Jewish authorities. But now Jesus affirms his identity absolutely and said that all the works that he'd done gave testimony to his identity. In other words, the miracles that Jesus had been performing for the last three years were evidence of Jesus' claim to be the Messiah. But despite all of that evidence, many of the Jews failed to believe in him. Casting out demons was dismissed as works of Satan. The, the blind receiving sight, the, the dumb speaking, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the feeding of thousands... All these and, and many more miracles of God were ignored by some segments of the Jewish community. All of these miracles were supposed to confirm the identity of Jesus and confirm his claim that he was this prophesied Messiah. And that's why the Apostle John wrote this gospel. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John writes, These... These miracles are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But despite all of these miracles, many of the Jews didn't believe. They'd closed their eyes to all the evidence. And, and then Jesus makes a claim that riles the unbelievers even further. In verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. In other words, Jesus claims to be God and his Jewish opponents then pick up stones and stone him to death for alleged blasphemy. And his opponents tried to seize him then and there, but Jesus escaped from their grasp and retreated across the Jordan to safer ground. Time for Jesus to die had not yet come. 
Jesus had often said during those three and a half years of ministry, my time and my hour has not yet come. Jesus knew the God-appointed time that he was going to die for the sins of the world. And it was fast approaching during the Passover festival in Jerusalem in the coming spring. This Passover festival celebrated that God had passed over the sins of Israel. He'd forgiven the sins of Israel and spared their firstborn sons when they were in captivity in Egypt. The sins of Israel had been covered over by the blood of the Passover lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorposts and the lintels of their home. And Jesus understood that he was the fulfilment of the Passover lamb, that his blood would satisfy the justice of God and allow God to pass over the sins of all humanity who would put their faith in Jesus' blood. And Jesus needed his disciples to believe and to understand this beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so to do this, Jesus now takes his miracles to the next level so that his disciples would believe and so that you and I would believe also. And so we come to the raising of Lazarus from the dead in chapter 11. An amazing miracle above everything that had gone before. A miracle which Jesus performs to prove his messianic claim beyond all doubt. And it's a miracle for the ages and it's the second highlight that I want to focus on this morning from John's Gospel. Namely that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan having escaped from the the Jews in Jerusalem who wanted to stone him to death because he'd claimed to be and in fact claimed to be God incarnate. And Lazarus, whom he loved, is sick back in Bethany, just two miles out of Jerusalem, where the Jews had recently tried to stone Jesus to death and arrest him. And Lazarus is sick, and his sisters, Martha and Mary, send a messenger. They send out a distress call to Jesus. In verse 3, they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus' response is recorded in verse 4. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And this was the message that the messengers or the messenger would have brought back to Bethany the next day. And John tells us in verse 5 and verse 6 that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now that seems like a pretty strange contradiction to me, a very strange response to the news that someone you love is sick, don't you think? If someone you loved was sick, would you wait two more days before coming to visit them? And how do you think your relatives would feel about such a, a tardy response? You know, if a doctor gets a, a, a request or a call to visit a sick patient 
and waits two more days before he visits the patient and the patient dies, well, that doctor's probably in hot water. Definitely be in hot water. And yet Jesus nonchalantly stays put where he is for another two days before he sets off to Bethany. And I wonder what the disciples were thinking about Jesus' apparent lack of response and delay. But then, may, may, then again, maybe the disciples were okay with it because just a short time ago, the Jews had tried to kill Jesus back in Jerusalem. And to go back now would mean certain death. And at least Thomas, one of the disciples, understood the risk. And he invited the other disciples in verse 16 when Jesus said, well, let's now go back to Bethany, just a couple of k's outside of Jerusalem. Um, Thomas said, well, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas understood that Jesus going back to Bethany would probably mean certain death. And so when Jesus and the disciples arrive back in Bethany, they find out that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now it's important to do the maths here. The messenger had set out for Mary and Martha in Bethany on day one. And it's about a 33k walk from Bethany to the other side of the Jordan River to get where Jesus was. So the messenger arrived at the end of that day one and Jesus sent the messenger back on day two and then he stayed where he was for two more days so Jesus stayed where he was on the other side of the Jordan on the second and the third day and then he says to his disciples let's go back so Jesus set out for Bethany on the fourth day and would have arrived back in Bethany at the end of that fourth day now if Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days, as we're told by the Apostle John, then he must have died on day one, the very day that the messengers sent out from Bethany to go to the other side of the Jordan. So even if Jesus had set out for Bethany on, at the very instant that the messenger arrived, he would have got back at the end of day two. And Lazarus still would have been in the tomb for two days before Jesus got back to Bethany. So Jesus' delay hadn't affected Lazarus' prognosis and his delay didn't mean that he didn't care. Lazarus was already dead. In fact, John writes that it was because Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus that he stayed two more days in Bethany. It seems to be a contradiction, but uh, it was because he loved them that he stayed two more days. And Jesus gives the reason why he stayed two more days. The reason he was glad he wasn't there when Lazarus died on day one. In verse 15, Jesus says the reason that he delayed two more days before returning to Bethany was so that the disciples might believe. Jesus' love caused him to delay. Jesus' love had a greater and a higher agenda. And I wonder if 
you've ever found yourself in a similar situation to Martha and Mary. Things are looking pear-shaped and you send out a distress call to God. And yet God doesn't seem to move on your dilemma. And God seems to stay put for a couple more days. And you wonder, you begin to wonder and question, does God really love me? Does God really care about me, about my problems? If God really loved me, wouldn't he come straight away? Wouldn't he move mountains for a child that he loves? Yet behind the scenes, there's a reason for how he moves and how he seems not to. They say God moves in mysterious ways and perhaps it will be four days of grief before he turns your tears into joy. Just as he did for Martha and Mary. And so as Jesus approaches Bethany, Martha goes out to meet Jesus and expresses her faith in Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha's sure that her brother Lazarus will rise again to life someday, on the last day when God brings all people under judgment. But then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Martha replies, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And now to prove to Martha, Mary and his disciples that his words are true, that he is the resurrection and the life, Jesus gets ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus, a cave sealed with a large stone and asks for the stone to be removed. And Martha's worried about the bad smell because it's been four days, you know, and, you know, and he's probably going to be on the nose and the body started to decompose. But Jesus encourages her to believe and she'll see the glory of God. Just believe and you will see the glory of God. I wonder if that's what you need to do this morning, to just believe and see. Just believe and see the glory of God. In the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews writes in chapter 1, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If those present outside the tomb will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then they will have seen the glory of God 
revealed. And how can Jesus prove he's, he is the Messiah beyond the miracles he's already performed for three and a half years? By going one better, by proving that he is the resurrection and the life. And so Jesus asks for the stone to be rolled away and then he prays. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And Jesus prays out loud for the benefit of those witnessing that they might believe that he has been sent by God, that Jesus is in fact the anointed one, the Messiah. And so Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The loud voice, it's not for the benefit of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead and the dead don't hear. The loud voice is for the benefit of all those present then and all those present today to know that Jesus has authority over death itself. That Jesus is indeed the resurrection and the life. That our resurrection, our life, depends on Jesus. And as the crowd looks on, Lazarus walks out of the darkness and into the light. From passing, from death to life. And what was the reaction of the witnesses? Many of the Jews believed in him, but not all of them. And so it poses a question for each one of us to consider this Easter. And it's the third thing I want to highlight from this passage this morning. And it's this, to believe or not, belief or unbelief. Some of the Jews went to the Pharisees and the chief priests who called a meeting of the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jewish council. And they acknowledged all the miracles, but they chose not to believe the evidence as Jesus had previously implored them at the Feast of Dedication whilst walking in Solomon's colonnade. He implored them, to, if they wouldn't believe him, just to believe on the basis of the miracles. And the Sanhedrin wouldn't believe. They said, what are we accomplishing? They asked. Here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Some of the Jews were more worried about bricks and mortar, maintaining their current way of life and their tradition than considering all these miracles as testimony of Jesus' identity, even raising a man who'd been dead in the tomb for four days. And unfortunately, many today, the response is similar. So many people today don't want to give up their current way of life, the, the temple or the nation that they've built for themselves in their own life. And so instead, they stare a gift horse in the mouth and let resurrection and life pass them by. 
All sorts of excuses are raised for not believing in Jesus, despite overwhelming evidence. Even the Sanhedrin themselves thought there were so many signs and miracles that if they let Jesus continue, everyone would believe in him. And yet at this point, extraordinarily, they chose not to. After all that they'd seen, they say that there's none so blind as those who will not see. And this was another case of the blind leading the blind. Caiaphas, the high priest that year, spoke out, you do not realise that it's better that one man dies for the people than that the whole nation perish. In the purposes of God, Caiaphas unknowingly uttered a prophecy that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and those people from all the nations of the world from that day forward who would believe in Jesus and his work on the cross and through faith would become children of God and receive eternal life. And from there, with Jesus just two miles outside of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin plotted to take his life. And so the events of Easter that we'll remember this coming week were set in motion. The Jews asked Jesus plainly, Are you the Messiah? And Jesus answered clearly that he is the Messiah, that his works, that his miracles proved it. And to prove it beyond all doubt, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Still, some chose not to believe, and it really beggars belief. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead so that Martha, Mary, his disciples, and you and I might believe that those words are true and that through believing we might have resurrection and eternal life. But even though the evidence seems overwhelming, the choice is still ours to make, just as it was for those who saw Lazarus walk out of the tomb 2,000 years ago. Not long after, another man walked out of a tomb after three days to make good on his words. This man was Jesus. For he is the resurrection and the life. Belief or unbelief, what are we going to choose this Easter?